Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here. The crew is all here as well. Fully staffed across the Outkick network. Big thanks to everybody. Great primary complaints. Again, you can join in next week. 360 at Outkick.com is how you can submit yours. Video, audio, however you so choose. Uh, coming up later this hour, we've got the 360 parlay, our daily parlay through FanDuel. Can't wait. Uh, we get into this hour, though, talking Julio Jones, who chose number two uh, as his jersey number. Or number Z, letter Z in the yeah. uh, in the Titans script. It's not the best of the font, I, no. would, ar I would argue. Yeah, it's not. Uh, and I love the way the number two fills out a jersey. Always love that just as a single digit number, uh, number two. Um, but it's not the best in the Titans script, that's for sure. He, uh, I guess one, one plus one equals two would be the basic logic. If we're looking, is that what he was saying? I, I don't know. If we're looking for the basic logic, I didn't that's even put that thing, together, Paul. But that's sure. the first thing I thought. I of. am a bit surprised he didn't go with eight. Yeah, I mean, uh, the prevailing wisdom was uh, the prevailing prediction was that he would go with eight. Maybe he thinks Marcus Mariota's a loser and doesn't want to associate with that number in the Titans. Maybe, Maybe the Titans the said, "Hey, there's still a lot of eights being sold over at Nissan Stadium." That the, too could have been the case. The legacy yeah. department. A lot of people just want to put a piece of tape <laughs> over it. And put I it doubt they said it. that. They may miss. They may wish Marcus Mariota a happy birthday next year, uh, but I That's doubt they're true. saying that you know it's his jerseys selling. are going selling off the rack. Uh, they're they're well, hoping they sell off the. Uh, yeah, my point the is sales rack. They're thinking if they were to go with that, they're thinking. We want people to buy the new number two jersey, not keep their old Marcus Mariota jersey that's been in mothballs, and then doctor it to put Jones on it. That's what they're trying to avoid. Uh, what, what they would do is give Julio Jones any number he wanted. <laughs> that's what they would do. Um, Including and, 11, which uh, A.J. Brown offered up. Yeah, and here's why. Because the argument or the, the decision on if you would trade Corey Davis and Jonu Smith in exchange for Julio Jones is really simple. Really simple. And I was thinking about this yesterday as we were discussing, and I didn't have, in the moment, be able to pull the numbers. But as you do, it's, it's simple when it comes down to the playoffs. Production in the postseason for what Julio Jones has done versus what the other two did. Six playoff games in Tennessee for Corey Davis. 15 catches, 166 yards, three touchdowns. Two of those three touchdowns, Came in a wild card playoff game in the fourth quarter when the game was at hand at Foxborough, yeah, his rookie year. The first time. Zero catches against the Baltimore Ravens this year in the playoffs. Disappeared was on Zero. the bench in the fourth quarter, right? Maybe the third quarter. Julio Jones in eight playoff games. 61 catches, 834 yards, six touchdowns. NFC Championship game in 2013, 11 catches, 182 yards, and two touchdowns. NFC Championship game in 2016, nine catches, 180 yards, and two touchdowns. Super Bowl, four catches, 87 yards on four targets, four for four. He's the third leading active wide receiver in playoff yards behind Larry Fitzgerald and Antonio Brown. And he ranks second in yards per game in the playoffs behind Larry Fitzgerald. Has a classic Super Bowl catch. I mean, there's there's a lot of classic Super Bowl catches, but a uh, reaching sideline catch over a Patriots defensive back. I can't remember which one. Where uh, dragged one toe, tapped the other toe as he's falling out of bounds. Uh, that's a, that's a great thing to bring up the playoff numbers. What it comes down to for me is you always take one elite player over two even very good players. 
Um, so uh, the Julio Jones side of the equation, I think, is the, is the side that doesn't erase the fact that I still don't understand what the Titans are thinking at tight end and how yeah. they've completely huh. just ignored it like it's a non-issue for a team that historically has been tight end centered and for a team that no matter whether Julio Jones is here or not, is still a Derrick Henry-centered team, and when you're a Derrick Henry-centered team, tight ends are instrumental in a lot of what you do tight end uh, running-wise, offensive-wise. Well, Jeff, Jeff Swain is there for that. And Kendall right. Lamb. Yeah. He's yeah, be they the might go, extra they tackle. Might go yeah. six offensive linemen. That's, that's good thinking. But uh, they're not deep at that position. We don't know who the third tight end is. There's a collection of undrafted rookies and the like. Maybe they love one of those guys. You know, they've got a couple developmental guys they've had. Uh, but I still think, look, and I've written this before, it wasn't a Julio Jones thing, but it was a better wide receiving core. Like when they first brought in Adam Humphreys, and I know people are down on Adam Humphreys now, but when Adam Humphreys arrived, that was a big deal. Look, they got themselves a legitimate slot receiver. And I remember writing, uh, after doing some research, don't think that this means the Titans are three wide receiver team. And in fact, they weren't a three wide receiver team. They still ran more too tight than they ran three wide. And they now call themselves in their unofficial depth chart three wide. They have before Julio Jones, and they will now too. But you ask Mike Vrabel about that, and you know what he said. You know, Robbie, the PR director, puts together that depth chart, and we have to put the guys somewhere, and it doesn't mean anything. Wouldn't you agree, they'll still roll two tight ends out well, there how, more often than you would expect, yes. so how given much, the personnel. How much money was freed up with the two voidable years with Ryan Tannehill? It's saved as opposed to 15-18. Okay. With that saving, could they not go sign Jesse James? Or someone I, that know, could fill a spot? I, I presume. But, again, I don't, I don't think they're in player acquisition mode. I think this I, is a, as a outlier. I don't think they're in it right now, but I, I think, think they, training camp, if, if yeah. one of those well, guys beyond training camp, if training they, camp things don't pan out, guys will come free and or they'll go get something. But there's an element of content with what they have at least going into camp, I feel like, or at least going into minicamp next week, I feel like. They're going to need to sign players during the season as well. For injury purposes. Right. This is That's extra elbow room for them to have. They always have contingency money if somebody have big to. goes down or, uh, you know, something happens or you you need to extend somebody or whatever. Robinson always has a, a significant buffer there. This is not one of the teams that goes into the season, you know, with, with $2 million or $200,000 by any means. Um, you know, and this money can be carried forward. You, you have it. You hope you don't have to use it. Then you carry it forward uh, if, if, if you have the luxury of having it throughout the season. But the tight end move that comes, if one comes, isn't going to be super significant. Um, and the tight end that they add isn't going to be a John U. Smith-level guy, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, what do you do if Ferkser goes down? You're screwed. What do you do if Jeff Swain goes You're down? You're screwed. I mean, they, they start running an extra tackle out there because that's who they have available on their roster currently. I mean, it's not it's going Lamb to be... Lamb or Sambrilo. Sambrilo is probably the more... Has uh, anyone caught your eye out there, tight end-wise, just watching them and, and guys mean, who have been around the team a I little think, bit? I think that the most eye-catching thing about the tight ends is that Pinkney is not there. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy 
for a guy like that not to be there. But no. Uh, but listen, they're doing less than than. Oh, ever I know before. they're not doing there, much. There's nothing to be really taken out of these things. Uh, I don't have the roster in front of me, but you know they have the undrafted guys. One from what Kansas State, Kansas or Kansas State. One. Uh, um, I can't remember where the other one's from. Big guys, you know, who have intriguing uh, body types and stuff. But again, you know, if those guys pan out, it's gravy. I, I don't think you bring one of those guys in and say, this is the solution. How often are you bringing in a, an undrafted rookie and saying, this is the solution? Or an undrafted rookie from last year and saying, this is the solution? Well, to that point then, I would say that three wide has to be the solution then. Not too I, tight. I, I would too, but... But We've thought that there, times before. There will be times where they have to go too tight because of who they're facing off the edge, an injury at Short left tackle, because Taylor Lewan is available. On How good is the right tackle? I mean, 10 uh, games uh, a year. You know, we've talked to, to scouting um, type people talking about Kendall Lamb is a good run blocking right tackle, but in pass protection, he's the kind of guy that needs help. Raiden's it played at a small school. You're going to put him out there against the premier pass rusher without. I, I don't want to hear the argument that Raiden's played oh, at a small yeah. I don't either. He is a second-round pick. I, we are that. universally in line with that. Don't want to hear We know it. how they treat. That's loser talk. We know how they treat early draft picks early. Don't They baby them. That is a, yes, that is a soft approach to a player that needs to be ready to play. Well, I mean, Trey Lance isn't going to be treated that way because he went to a small school whenever the 49ers decide to put him in. I, you I can't go from April, and I'm not saying they've done this. And the, we're using the Titans as an example with Raiden's. Any team. You can't go from April and May where you're touting this guy because, man, he, you know, small school, but, man, he held his own at the Senior Bowl. That's why he caught our eye there. We talked to him, and Played he was with banging hats with the best. To June and July, you know what? We need to slow play this because he's played at a small school and we, we need to get him up to speed. It doesn't work like that with me. You're not going to be able to play both arguments until it fits the mold that when he's ready to play in week That's six. And he could be okay and be ready to play in week six. But it's not going to be because he played at a small school and you drafted him in the second round. It's, it, I would say that about anyone drafted in the second round, especially drafted in the second round, uh, immediately after, a year after, a big swing and miss at that position. So you're drafting now a big position of need. That can't be the case. If that was even going to be a reluctance with the pick, about small school, right. then go draft a guy who played in the SEC or Big Ten right. if that's a problem because you need someone traits. to plug and play. Now, he possesses we'll say, the traits in to start at right yes. tackle. In, now, Nate Davis didn't play until week four, week five in Atlanta, his rookie year, week but four. he missed a huge chunk of camp because he was hurt, which happens to Titans rookies way too often. So, you know, yep. cr cross your fingers if you're a Titans fan about that. And the guy in front of him was terrible, Jamil Douglas. They have better guys to be in front of Raidens now in, in Lamb and Sombrello. They're better than Jamil Douglas. Well, they're, they're not uh, good, Kendall but Lamb they're better was than a backup in, in Cleveland to the point where they signed Conklin. But he's better than Jamil Douglas. I'm not saying he's good. I'm saying he's better as a right tackle than Jamil Douglas was as, as, a, as a right guard. But you got to get going with that guy. At first, second, third round picks should be playing out of the gate, I think. If they're at positions of need. And then by drafting him, you're saying it's a position of need. Yeah. Period. And he and Kendall Lamb may be signed to help out with that extra tight end, that blocking tight end. Because they they do run sometimes six offensive linemen on the field. At the goal line uh, a lot of times. Yeah. Um, you know, and they like to throw to the, those guys in, in tricky situations as well. 
But um, now I'm, I'm with you guys. I want Raiden's out there ASAP. And I would think if he has a full training camp and he's what they say he is, he should be in the starting lineup against Arizona. Uh, Julio but jo I don't believe he will be. Julio Jones, is he in town this week? Reports where he took the physical yesterday. I think that uh, from, from what what's out there that he won't be there tomorrow, but he will be at minicamp next week. And minicamp's going on this week, not just tomorrow, but they're in town. Well, tomorrow's work. the last OTA, and then minicamp is next Minicamp's next week, so the mandatory, the mandatory. portion, the voluntary portion, so he will not be. So where we can be. expect to see Danico Autry, gotcha. Norris Jenkins, and the other guys who haven't been around. Even Pinkney. <laughs> we hope. We can presume, unless he's going on the NFI as well. Uh, or uh, the PUP, yeah. Coming up, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Outkick360. That's how you can chime in. We'll talk some Tennessee Vols football as well from a not just recruiting standpoint, but fundraising standpoint. There's a big plan that was announced uh, by the AD. $500 million in dollars that they're trying to raise on the hill in Knoxville. And did you see their standing in the uh, their place in the transfer portal? I guess mm. it's not a surprise, but it was interesting to see it in a list form. We'll talk through that. And the college is affected by it. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Talking some Tennessee Vols football and athletics in general this segment with Athletic Director Danny White announcing a $500 million fundraising campaign uh, that he announced today as the monster engine that needs to get going at the University of Tennessee. We'll get into that in a moment. We also will talk transfer uh, portal and how much it's affected this Tennessee football roster um, and, and other teams across the country. More on that in a moment as well. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Outkick360. We hope you'll subscribe on YouTube, the exclusive YouTube channel for Outkick360. You ring the bell after you subscribe, and you're automatically alerted every time we go live, which is weekdays at noon Eastern right here on the Outkick Network. And anytime we post new content, exclusive content to the channel, you'll get that alert as well, and we appreciate all the support from our season ticket holders. Tennessee looking for more financial support, Chad. $500 million is the is the new bar set by the new AD. What have you made of the, the efforts to get momentum going in this direction? Because, I mean, you could be an alum at any university, and you're going to get the letters in the mail or the emails asking for donations on an annual basis. What's different about this campaign? I don't think there's anything that uh, groundbreaking or different about it. Any AD that takes over anywhere is going to announce their own fundraising campaign. This is just simply Danny White's idea of the campaign. I think what Danny White, though, is saying is interesting. Tennessee has no problem at the highest level of donors. They have no problem with the big business or the really rich people they can go to and get a check for a million dollars if needed. The issue is that next level. So Danny White describes it, I think, as stakeholders. We're looking for more people who have skin in the game. We want people who feel like they're a part of it. He's not true shying investment. away from that. True investment where you are a stakeholder in our success as an athletic department. So they need more people at that level. What's a stakeholder? The, what kind of range? Well, the Haslam about? family knows their stakeholders. Right. Right. Charlie Anderson knows he's a stakeholder. The, those level of donors obviously know they're a big part of it. They're going to get called on everything. It's the... It's the person that'll make a $10,000 donation, let's just say, as a, as a number, right? Someone who will make or donate $500 a month. 
they need more donors in that level. Not to the extreme end, but you know, maybe a little bit higher than just whatever fee you pay on top of your uh, season tickets. That's where Danny White is, is targeting the next level of donor at Tennessee. And again, everyone that takes over anywhere, and then if you're somewhere long enough, you're then going to announce a new campaign to try to raise money. So I don't see anything groundbreaking about this. Now, I will say that um, something a little bit groundbreaking in the opposite direction is Danny White and Tennessee's decision to only sell tickets via phone for the Super Regional this weekend. And I think that's an effort to weed out LSU fans from buying tickets and sell it all to Tennessee fans, which I don't think was going to be a big issue either way. But I know that's got a lot of people talking. And there's a lot of people, including Fox Sports Knoxville, our very first sister station, radio network affiliate of Outkick 360, saying that Danny White needs to do more. There needs to be a watch party on Pat Head Summit Boulevard. There needs to be something going on in Thompson Bowling Arena because there are a ton of Tennessee fans complaining they could not get tickets that want to be a part of it. So the university needs to do more for the Super Regional. The Knoxville News Sentinel had this story, and I want to credit them on this quote because they deserve the credit. But he, the, the, the Sentinel, uh, through Mike Wilson, said that he sat down with, with Danny White and he turns he has a coffee cup and he turns the logo around to face the reporter's direction and the power tees there. And he says, the quote was, to build this brand, this place was innovative. We've kind of lost our way the past couple decades, is what he points in, decades. The national iconic power tee brand was built by coming up with a lot of ideas before our competitors. So reading into this between the lines, Chad, and correct me if you think I'm way off base here, the fundraising efforts in recent years, even before Philip Fulmer was the AD, was Philip Fulmer would go with the university president, with Randy Boyd, walk into uh, a room full of people and sell that room full of people on Tennessee. And that was the innovative brand. And Fulmer was the brand. He was the power T. He was the athletic program. Even before he was the AD, you would, you would send him on fundraising trips because the guy knows how to raise funds. Is this Danny White saying it has to be much more than that to reach the type sure. of level that everyone wants to come back to? Now, to be a true investor, there needs to be return on investment. And I don't know how you sell that right now. How are you getting people to donate $500 a month, $10,000, if they were not doing it for Philip Fulmer? I think that what you come back and say is, um, if you want to guarantee no return on investment, then don't be a part of it. I, I think that's Danny White's sales pitch is, you, you got to have an understanding of what went wrong in the past, but there have been some things they got right. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, John Curry hired Tony Vitello. Uh, for all that John Curry did wrong, he did something right at Tennessee. Well, now the big complaint by Tennessee is, Danny White better not screw this up. You better do anything it takes to keep Tony Vitello because I don't care, and this is kind of our uh, thing with Vandy baseball too, I don't care if it makes a profit or not, he makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. He makes me happy. That team makes me happy. It adds to my joy, which is completely reasonable. And that's why Tennessee fans want Tony Vitello. And and that's why I think Danny White's going to do what it takes. And just the comments coming out of there, the quotes, makes me feel like Tony Vitello's not going anywhere. Already talking about some big donors have stepped up with investment at the stadium, with investment in his staff and everything else. I don't think that's going to be the problem. So how do you sell it, Hutton? 
you don't sell anything that's going on right now other than baseball or basketball or anything that's happened in the past. What you sell is, if you're Danny White, I know how things have been here, but look at my track record. I went to Buffalo and got people to go to games. I went to Buffalo and had rock concert tailgate parties outside the stadium. I went to Central Florida and built that place into a monster in multiple sports. I know what it takes to win. I've been around the SEC at previous stops. Here is what it takes. You can believe me or not, but it takes your help. And if you start investing, I'm going to continue investing, and we will win at the highest level here. And, quite frankly, Philip Fulmer didn't have to go into a living room and tell Tennessee fans who he was. Danny White needs to go into living rooms and tell people who Josh Heupel is. He's going to have to sell the fan base and on Josh he Heupel. Is. Josh Heupel is doing a pretty good job of not over-promising, but not under-promising. A lot of guys come into jobs and say, it's going to be a five-year process. I've got to completely gut the infrastructure. Patience. Be patient. The roster's not there. I'm going to get my guys in, all that. Josh Heupel's saying none of that. He's coming into this job expecting to win in year one. Whether or not that's realistic remains to be seen. But I like that part about him. Ultimately, wins will sell the fan base on Josh Heupel. But I do think with football specifically, because everything revolves around football at Tennessee and most schools, Danny White needs to do a good job of selling Josh Heupel and his football vision to, to donors, to fans. And that's part of the sales pitch because you're right, Hutton, totally different than when Phil Fulmer was at the helm where he didn't have to sell anything. He'd just go and shake someone's hand mm-hmm. and ask for a check, and they would usually give it to him. Well, I get what you're saying about, like, if you don't, you know, if you don't invest, it... it you're guaranteeing what's going to happen. Right. But that'll get a certain amount of people. And another amount of people, you know, I'm thinking of somebody like me. You know, if I were a Tennessee guy, I, he's talking about the innovation, right? I, I need to see. You know, I'm I'm a doubting Thomas. I I, I gotta, I, I need to see it. So show me some of the innovation. You know, and that's gonna take a little bit of time. So I would be reluctant to to give you money yet. I'd say I I need this to see. Show me an example of the innovation. And what is it so far? I mean, the NIL video's nice, but the NIL isn't something I'm investing in, right? That doesn't have a bearing on the product necessarily for me. So I need an example or two of the innovation. And it's hard to innovate now because everybody's done everything, it feels like, right? What what are the new innovations in college athletics anymore? Well, you say that, but I can tell you the programs that will be innovative and lead the pack. Right. Well, Alabama football. Alabama and Clemson. Yeah. And they, and they will be innovative. Off of winning. They will They're, set... They they are already doing this, and they're at the top of the mountain, and they're looking for innovative ways to stay there. I don't. Tennessee's chasing. Yeah, I just don't. Everybody's chasing. Well, and I think Tennessee's doing a good job of trying to stay on top of things with NIL and everything else, but I, I think we also can overvalue innovation when it comes to success. It's coaching. And it's winning. about It's about bringing the right coaches and keeping them happy and giving them the freedom to hire their staff giving them the money to retain staff that they want, that's where Tennessee's gotten it so wrong. We're not talking about basketball as an issue, are we? Haven't talked about it since Rick Barnes has been there. I mean, no one's, they, had a, they had a bad year where they were a five seed in the NCAA tournament, and people are complaining about that. And what do they respond with? They go out and get the first or second best recruiting class in the country in men's basketball, and they're going to be a Final Four contender 
a year from now more than likely. It's the coaching. It's keeping Rick Barnes from going to UCLA. It's making sure Tony Vitello doesn't go anywhere. And I've said this, and I'm not a college baseball guy, but I am a leadership personality guy. Find the damn Tony Vitello of football. That's the next step for Tennessee. Maybe it's Josh Heupel. I don't know. But Tony Vitello was a first-time head coach that was a hitting instructor at Arkansas. And John Curry knew enough and saw something in him that he saw a guy who was going to be what Vandy saw in Tim Corbin that not everyone else was seeing. This guy is, is turning himself into a top 10 coach in the sport. So go find that level of attitude, of leadership, of swagger, of sales ability, of everything. And if you can find that, that's what Clemson eventually found in Dabo Sweeney. Alabama found the established guy, Nick Saban, that was going to go win. I think it all really does, for Tennessee, come down to that. The AD needs to hire coaches, weed out the bad ones, and keep the great ones happy. That's the top job. That is Danny White's top job. I can hear about all these $500 million campaigns, everything else. It's great on paper. But Tennessee's not going anywhere unless that happens. They can do a, a damn laser show before every kickoff and have all these innovative things that they're doing. It's not going to matter if the coaches aren't in place. Well, and so, what, $200 million of the $500 million has already been raised or committed? That's the money that's committed. Good start. Um, and so in, in thinking about who he's talking to, because Chad's right, they're not talking to the Haslam's here. He's, he's talking to the, the next layer, maybe a layer or two deeper, with the $10,000 donor, the $500 a month donor. Those people are who he was talking to when he said he didn't want anybody to be negative. But the problem is, he's, those, those fans have put their money behind Tennessee in the past. He wants them to do it again, but they have bought in to the point where they're in a wait and see mode. And we on this show agree that it's okay to be negative about the Tennessee fan base if you're if you're a member of the Tennessee fan base looking at the athletic program and the recent results. Given the failures, and I, the I appreciate program. the energy that Danny White's brought to the table. I I I, I for one would buy into what he's selling, uh, and what I've heard and the the sales pitch that he's doing as an AD previously and what he's doing now. But. I also understand it from the Tennessee perspective of what you've been through. I got to wait and, and see some results. And you're sitting from there going, coach. "You want me to invest more? You want me to do this when I've just looked in the rearview mirror and I've, I feel like I've wasted my money on Jeremy on a bunch of empty promises." I don't even think. Uh, I think with the group that he's targeting right now, honestly, I don't think he's asking people to invest more. He's asking a lot of people to invest for the first time. So he is trying to sell his vision and what is going on in, in turning Tennessee into – basically, he's going to – this is what you sell if you're Danny White. Here's my track record. I went to Buffalo, who had never won. I went to Central Florida, who had never won. I turned them into winners. Tennessee's won in the past. That job is – I have fans here. I'm not having to create fans. The fans are there. We're going to win now, and it's going to be fun for everyone. So that's what Danny White is coming in, and that's the sales pitch, I think, to new donors – um, at Tennessee. And here's the thing about don't be negative. Text a friend. Text a buddy. Right? That's what Danny White told everyone. Don't go immediately go to social media and trash everyone. Just t text a buddy when you're feeling down about something for Tennessee. I, I think it's a good lesson. But I also think you're going to get both the good and bad with Tennessee fan base. You're never going to have to tell the Tennessee fans, you should care more about this winning. 
we need more people to show up and support this winning product. Mm -hmm. That is never going to be an issue at Tennessee, ever. Tennessee fans, go on Twitter on Friday night on the walk-off Grand Slam. I didn't know there were so many college baseball fans (laughs) over Tennessee, quite frankly. I, I have not ever seen anyone tweet a thing about college baseball. And they know all the players, they call them by their first name, by their nickname. They're in love with Tony Vitello all of a sudden. They're all weekend just, I'm getting text messages and all this from people that just all of a sudden love college baseball. Because if Tennessee fans want to be excited about something, it's the same thing we talked about with Vandy and baseball. It's great because it gives Vandy fans something to be excited about where they don't oftentimes have something like that. Tennessee's got that now with baseball. And now there's suddenly a bunch of college baseball fans. You need to accentuate that if you're Danny White. But in doing so, you got to understand people are going to be equally pissed when things aren't going well. I think, too, if, uh, and he can craft the message much more diplomatically than I would, but you can say, I can understand why you haven't stepped forward during the Jeremy Pruitt era. We had a damn guy wearing a babushka on the sideline who you know, couldn't, couldn't present the message. But now things are different, you know. Yeah. Let me introduce myself and show you what's gonna gonna happen here. And I'm inviting you to be on the first line of the newcomers to something that's going to be totally different than it's been for the last couple guys. It's just come aboard. The, the totally different part of this, an aspect of this, and we talk about this so often with any coaching search and coaching hire. If something failed, people tend to go too far in the other direction. I'm a little hesitant to get fully on board with Josh Heupel because this is such a drastic departure from Jeremy Pruitt in program and personality. Well, because he had to go to his own guy till he couldn't get something, and then he. I, but now look, like I'm not. Back. I'm not down on the hire. I'm just saying, like I'm watching video of the team playing kickball and having a barbecue at Neyland Stadium. That was not going to happen with Jeremy Pruitt, right? So and while this is, I, I do think this is what these players need. They need to relax a little bit. It doesn't need to be treated like an NFL job because it's not yet. There needs to be a little bit of confidence building, some building up going on because that was not Jeremy Pruitt. But I I don't know. I I just think it's always I'm a little bit reluctant when it's such a drastic departure, although I do think the Tennessee program needs some of that right now. So, again, it's very much wait and see. It's understandable wait and see. With Josh Heupel. It's very much wait and see. Um. Transfer portal, and this is something we can go in a, a, a bit deeper on, uh, on the Thursday edition of the show. But this is a graphic that was sent out that puts into perspective the Power 5 scholarship players in the portal since October 1st of last year. 25 from Tennessee. Balls and are winning. That, that leads the way. Uh, right behind the balls, Kansas and Michigan State had 22 each per program. For the Power 5 scholarship players, Mississippi State and Missouri, Auburn and Vanderbilt, North Carolina, round out your top five. But no, no program has had more than the Tennessee Volunteers with 25 scholarship athletes in the transfer portal that have left the program uh, with the turnover there. That's, that's another going to Heupel and what he's got to sell. I mean, uh, not all 25 are players that maybe he wanted, he wanted to coach, right? Um, well, it opened up spots where he could go out and bring other play- players in, yeah, other transfers. That's but a, that's a huge number. But we know, we know the type of talent that's playing at Oklahoma now off the Tennessee well, roster. And if you go through that list again, and if you could put it back up there quickly, I want to tell you something in common with all those teams: Tennessee, Kansas, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt. You got to get to North Carolina before you find a program that didn't make a coaching change. Mm-hmm. 
And with Tennessee and Kansas, you've got NCAA scandal issues at the top two. Yep. Uh, Michigan State had recent scandals, not necessarily right now, but that's a big part of it also. I'm not as overly alarmed about that as much as everyone else because I think when you have an NCAA investigation on top of whatever Jeremy Pruitt was doing in recruiting to land players, and then, and honestly, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt had a great connection with a lot of those players. So he's probably telling them to leave school when that happens because he's not there anymore. Come to the um, I think I think that's that's a natural part of it. Now what's going to happen is the attrition with the roster is going to show up in the next couple of years at Tennessee. You're going to get late in the season and start saying, boy, there's just not a lot of depth at this position or at another position, and this is the reason why. There's an NFL job posting for the Tennessee Titans that uh, maybe some mathematicians might be interested in. Oh, We've got that for you. Finally? Also... The 360 Parlay. We're going to do some math and come up with a way to win tonight. You can join us at FanDuel.com. Did you shake your head, Jacob? Did I, did I see you shake your head and think that, no, the losing streak continues tonight? Uh, with FanDuel.com slash OK360. He's like, nope. He's like, nope, don't, don't do it. Not Bet happening. the opposite for all we care. But Hurtful. I'm telling you, we're going to win tonight. The Parlay is next. Three hundred and sixty parlay in just a moment, but if you would like to provide data and analysis on complex problems related to athletic measurement and performance, you can apply to be a data analyst for the Tennessee Titans. We've just tweeted out that link, uh, and I, I said on the tweet, "The next Paula might be the first. Yeah, I mean they're not an uh, analytics organization in terms of having employees in such department. There is no such department." So I don't know who this person will be under. This individual will work directly with our football staff to grow our data maturity and deliver findings that impact our football operations. This individual would also work with the developers to maintain, integrate, and share data findings with the team. That is a analytics expert is what this is. Their Titans are doing it. Jake and Regan just perked up. Maybe they can be yep. an analyst. Uh, Jake's already working for a football program right now. Maybe this is a job for him. Who knows? Part of me likes the fact that... Um, you get called out for something when you're the one team with nothing and you react and do something about it and list a job posting yeah. for it. And part of me is also thinking, how did it take realizing you're the only team in the NFL without a data analyst to realize you need to have data analysts? That that's also bothers me. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Here is the 360 parlay for today. You can go to FanDuel.com slash OK360, our daily parlay. We are headed to Major League Baseball today, gentlemen. And oh, yes. We're America's taking the, pastime. We're taking the Chicago Cubs plus a run and a half. We're taking the run line on the Cubs with Arietta on the mound. That is this afternoon. First pitch at 411 Eastern. So that's just, just around the corner. We're going to win this, and then we tune in tonight. Oh, no. The Atlanta Braves. Oh, no. Davidson on the mound against Eflin. Let's go. We're taking the Braves' money line against the Phillies. And the Cubs, plus a run and a half on the two-leg parlay tonight. $5 wager wins you twenty sixty-five. Like the payout. You know what I'm doing? $10. I'm doing $10. Wow. $10 gives you $35.32. You know why? Because it's time. It is it. time. It is time to win. I don't care what Jacob Swanson says. I'm riding with my guy, Jonathan Hutton. This is a winner. You, it's like it's already been played. <laughs> These games have already been played, baby. Here we go. What I hope, what I hope is that the Braves, Game for on. instance, don't hit a home run like we saw in Pittsburgh 
oh. where the guy just completely misses first base and then, you know, it's called out. How is he not after the fact? Instinctively. So it, the ball was in the right field corner. Yep. It was questionable as to whether it was clearing the wall. It was questionable as it was fair or foul. But there's an instinct in any baseball player, if there's any doubt that you miss a base. <laughs> to go back. To go back. Particularly once it's called the home run, you go back. Um, Yankees had a, a runner score last night on a pass ball. He very clearly hit the plate with his hand, but he had some doubt. He was called safe. He got up and kind of sneakily went back and stepped on the plate because he had a little bit of doubt. You see players do this all the time. I don't understand how this guy had no doubt. He had all the time in the world to get to second base once it's a home run. Yep. Completely blew it. Umpires went to review it, saw he missed it, called him out. Home run turns into an out. Base running, and we'll talk more about this because ESPN has a big piece up about the state of base running in the league. Quite frankly, I'm relieved to know that it's bad everywhere because I'm focused strictly on one team. And let me tell you something, the Yankees have never been a worse base running team in my lifetime. They make outs. Base running in general is really bad this year. That's pathetic. Yeah. It's not hard to run the bases well. And that's something, like, I don't know that Aaron Boone deserves to be fired, though I'm starting to get there. But on the base running stuff, that is absolutely directly on the coach. Directly on the coach. Hitting poorly, you know, that's that you can't necessarily draw a, a line, you know. Pitching and stuff, it, it's harder. But base running, simple base running errors, that's directly on coaching and, and failure to have your guys knowing what they're doing. It's also on, you're a Major League Baseball player. you played baseball your whole life. You should know how to run the bases. No, but I'm saying, like, if you're having base running problems, you can have a practice that day yeah, and uh, run through yeah. the basics. You can't just have a hitting practice and fix hitting. You can have a practice and fix base running. Yeah. Guys, fun show today. Great show. Tomorrow. The 360 Masters at Top Golf. Going to be big. John McClain's also going to join us for the show. It's going to be hydrated. a lot of fun. My uh, score will not be good, but I'll have a good time. Okay, good. <laughs> We're all going to have a, that a blast. That I can promise. That I can uh, promise. And it's all to benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are officially sold out for 360 Masters. All of the bays are full, and all of the patron passes are full, thanks to our production assistant Jake Popoff and the band Lit. They have sold us out. How about that? Big. It's big time. Big, big, big. Back at it tomorrow. Big thanks to Lance and Jakob for making the show happen for us. Becca and Sleepy Danny. And of course the chairman of the board, David Reed. Pop over please to Instagram. I'll be joining a couple fine production assistants for the debrief. And in the meantime I will ask you all please. Do not block the box, but be sure to lock your locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.